You are Locked On Rays, your daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, my name is Kevin Weiss, alongside Ulysses Zambrano, and we're the host of Locked on Rays, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. As a reminder, you can subscribe to Locked on Rays on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and online at fanstreamsports.com. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play Locked on Rays. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked on Rays. And check out our brand new Patreon page, patreon.com slash Rays Unfiltered. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, the greatest protein bar on the planet. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code Locked On L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. And that'll get you 20% off your next order. You can thank me later with that. Uh, So we have a special episode today and tomorrow. I like to say that every episode is special, but these next two are, I think, going to be really enjoyable for you Rays fans and baseball fans out there, as we are joined by Aram Layton, who is the host of Locked On MLB Prospects and knows pretty much anything and everything you need to know about uh, baseball farm systems, prospect rankings, uh, the, the nitty gritty as far as evaluations and things like that. Very, very informative and entertaining stuff. On today's show, part one of our interview with Aram, he gives us a breakdown of the Nate Lowe trade, the wonder that is Wander Franco, and other prospects in the race system that intrigues him the most enjoy all right ulysses today and probably for the next several episodes we'll be running this interview with aram layton who is the host of locked on marlins and locked on mlb prospects so if you want some in-depth baseball knowledge and you're all about the prospects aram is the place to get it aram not to toot our own horn but we have been promoting your podcast like left and right pretty much at the end of every episode we give you a little bit of a shout out i don't know if it makes any difference listener wise or whatnot but uh, we are we are definitely giving you some promotion there um and and a little bit off of that how did you get involved first of all with the the locked on podcast network and and not just hosting one podcast but two podcasts yeah, I really appreciate that because honestly, I think you have some credit. I owe you guys some there because the numbers have been really exciting the last couple of weeks. It's been really cool to see. And just finally now, right around the six, seven month mark, it started to just take off. And uh, it's cool to see a market for prospect talk across the board. Um, and, and especially with teams like the Rays that have amazing farm systems to teams that don't have as good of farm systems. It's been cool to see those fan bases kind of tune in and see what's going on. As for how I got the show, uh, it's funny because I, I did the Locked On Marlins show first, and that's where I kind of got connected with the network. But ultimately, I had always had interest and always had been writing about and, and covering prospects. Ultimately, I was ready to shift into the play-by-play realm and was set to broadcast in the Florida State League this year, my first year out of college. And of course that didn't happen. So with the lack of minor league season, I was going nuts. I had the Marlins show. I was enjoying it, but I was doing so much 
prospect talk anyways. I think where where our Sean, you know, our boss started to, I think, lose it with me in a very friendly way. I did a full first round mock draft for the Locked On Marlins podcast. And Sean's like, Arm, you got to talk more about the Marlins, man. I was like, can you give me a show about like prospects? I just have so much to talk about. And from that point on, I kind of pitched the idea and it went from there. Um, and just having a lot of players on the last few weeks and stuff like that, I think has helped, but it's been a blast. And of course the Rays are frequently a topic of conversation with all of the young talent they have loaded up there. And and certainly before we get into the nitty gritty, you've had a lot of prospecty players on the pod. Who has been the best guest, the best, uh, prospect player thus far on lockdown MOB prospects? That's a good question. Honestly, like I've been really impressed with how awesome some of these interviews have gone. I think Jesus Lazardo, who's not really a prospect anymore, but was one of my rookie of the year favorites this year, didn't quite hit that threshold, but was an awesome interview talking about pitching and back-to-back postseasons as someone who just lost his rookie status. That's pretty crazy, you know, in your first two years to pitch in the postseason, especially with only 10 innings under his belt, he had pitched in the postseason. That was really cool to hear about. And then most recently, I had Andrew Dalquist, who's not as much of a household name, but a high schooler that was just drafted in the second round and was talking about a lot of the changes that he's made in the offseason and what it's been like for somebody that was just drafted and not being able to play much and just trying to make the most of what they've got was very cool conversation. Then personal favorite is Nick Gonzalez, seventh overall pick of the Pittsburgh Pirates, who I got to watch a ton in the Cape Cod League where I broadcasted play-by-play. And he's one of my favorite prospects in baseball growing up. I think he's going to be a stud climbing through the system really quickly. And he was just a really cool, really, really cool interview as a walk-on at New Mexico State turned seventh overall pick in Cape Cod Player of the Year. A very cool story. Very neat. And I know, uh, you know, let's go ahead and dive into the nitty-gritty. Ulysses is just chomping at the bit throwing pencils at me right now, wanting to ask about the Nate Lowe trade and, of course, about the prospect that every baseball fan has on their mind, especially Rays fans, Wander Franco. So, Ulysses, I will let you just throw questions at Aram left and right. Okay, good, good. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, Well, the first one, you said the Rays usually make appearances on – on the prospect show. Um, well, they kind of did the same thing for you probably um, on, on your, on your plans because of the Nate Lowe trade, right? So can you summarize the, the, the gets for the, for the race, what the Rays are giving up? Because as I see it in the short run, it does seem like the Rays have become weaker in, in a situation of depth close to being in, in the major leagues. Uh, if somebody goes down, can somebody back him up as Nate Lowe could have done? So how do you see the return for Nate? Is it a good one for the long run? How, how, how does it work out? Yeah, you know, and you guys might know more about what the Rays' intentions were, right? Because my just speculation based on, on what the return was is I don't think the Rays were really dangling Nate Lowe. Like, I don't think they were just desperate to trade this guy. And I'd actually talked about Lowe in the past as somebody I really liked. And not to make Rays fans feel upset about it, it's just I had loved the adjustments that I saw Nate Lowe make at the plate. He had been very vertical in the past, not really in his legs very much, which you tend to see from guys with longer limbs, taller guys. And he just was much better at sinking into his backside. And I'll get into hitting way too much if you let me. But basically (laughs) was able to tap into his power, get the ball in the air more frequently, and it translated into great numbers. 
numbers. What I will say, though, is that the Rays got a great return headlined by Heberto Hernandez, who I think if the Rays identify a lower level guy that they think they can snatch up before he becomes, you know, just too established to be able to attain, right? Because once you start to hit at that A level, high A level, and you're on every top 100 list, it's a lot harder to get those guys, especially in today's day and age. So I think the Rays, the way they look at it, and I think it's a big reason why they have success, is they trust their scouting and they trust their ability to be able to find these lower level guys before they fully prove prove themselves. And Hernandez, to me, is a borderline top 100 prospect, despite the fact that he is not really been able to play too much at at a level above rookie ball, right? He's only played about 110 games in professional baseball. But from what I've seen defensively, from what I've seen uh, power potential at a premium spot, especially if he can stay behind the dish, that's the big question for him. He's the headliner in this deal. I think there's some really good complementary pieces, which I'm happy to get into as well. But I, I really liked the headliner of Hernandez. And if the Rays feel like they don't need Nate Lowe, to you know, get back to where they were, and I think that, that's something that's probably better answered by you guys. It, I think it was a great return, and ultimately they were like, okay, we're trading a first baseman for what could be some major future pieces and just reload our farm system. Headlined by Hernandez, I, I like the return, and I think it ultimately both teams came out you know better after the deal if, if the Rays can feel like they can fill that first base position. I like so you the listen, way that you that said a, that. that. Yeah, does that, that appease yeah. your concerns at all? It does. It does. And, 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 you know, maybe it's, it's the tone of voice of, by, by Aram trying to calm me down, but I, I do like it a little bit more now, especially the, the way that you you're talking about, you know, kind of having guys on the radar before they're on the radar. I love that because the Rays, I think do a really good job at doing the opposite at the end, right? When you have a guy for three, four years and you can say, Hmm, can they replicate what they've been doing? Let's cut off before it goes to, to you know, not so good. So I, I like that you said that because that means that the philosophy is uh, from, from front to end the, the same. So I like that. Um, so thank you for putting me at ease. All right, we'll continue this discussion with Aram. But first, we've got to tell you about the greatest protein bar on the planet. And that, of course, is none other than Built Bar. So many different flavors, 18, 19, 20 amazing flavors. That includes non-nut and nut flavors. So if you have a tree nut allergy or a peanut allergy or whatever it may be, no need to worry about that as they have what you're looking for as well. Uh, Some of their new flavors include caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. I can tell you experience all those flavors are very good as well as the original the og flavors that they have uh come out with in recent months like coconut almond german chocolate peanut butter banana bread the list goes on and on and on here's what you need to know about these delicious delicious built bars they are covered in 100 chocolate they're soft and easy to chew they're low calorie low sugar high protein and high fiber if you're on the keto diet This is a great uh, replacement bar for that. Just to give you an example, I have the cookies and cream in front of me, and it reads 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams sugar, and 4 grams net carbs. 
Go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on, and that'll get you 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code locked on, L O C K E D O N, for 20% off at builtbar.com. This is the question, the first question that I'm that I'm going to talk about Wander. So, uh, Kevin, are you ready for some Wander talk? And we have our Wander. Sponsor? Always ready for some Wander Franco talk, of course. I love it. Okay, so Kevin and I have a bet going, Aram, which is uh, that we will not see Wander Franco in a Rays uniform until September call-ups of 2021. If we are wrong, um, and he de- debuts earlier than that. What can you look at from a number standpoint? What jumps out at you from a 19-year-old that he can not only survive major league pitching, but can adapt from failures that he will certainly face uh, when he comes up to to major league baseball? You know, that's a great question. And, And what I would say is, you know, with Wander, I think if you brought him up tomorrow, right? Like we're playing baseball right now. Let's say it's the season opening days tomorrow and you brought him up. He will 100% hold his own and be, and be a solid player. But I think at that point is, do, do you want Wander Franco to be rushed and not be able to iron out some of the little kinks that he has before he gets a chance to just go out there and be fully ready and attack it? Because when I look at Wander, he is just a freak of nature, which you know, but with his hands at the plate, that has to be the most impressive thing to me. He can waste any pitch, any pitcher's pitch. He will throw his hands at it and foul it off and battle. And that's what translates well to, to the major league realm where guys are throwing triple digits and have the nastiest sliders you're ever going to see. And everyone out of the bullpen has two plus pitches. Wander is the type of player that is like built to combat that. And I say, if you built a player in a lab, he wouldn't look too different than Wander Franco. The only thing I would say that he needs to maybe focus on a little bit more. And I think it's a double-edged sword because it's part of what makes him great is he's so good at putting the ball in play. Uh, I'd like to see him take, you know, a little bit bigger of a swing, maybe earlier in the count His ground ball rates tend to be a little bit high. And I think that at a shortstop spot where, you're seeing most of the best shortstops in today's game being more power oriented guys. Of course, if Wander Franco sitting 330, 340 every year, then it doesn't matter. It's a moot point. But if we're going to nitpick at one little tiny thing, it's that his ground ball rates tend to be a little bit high, but that's very, very specific as for why he can be successful in the major leagues. He's a switch hitter who doesn't strike out much, walks a lot and hits the ball really, really hard and hits it to all fields. Like It's just, like I said, it's like you created a player in a lab. His approach will always carry a high floor for him. That's why he is as safe of a prospect as you're going to find. And honestly, what's funny is I see a lot of similarities to him and Vlad Jr. with the way they attack the baseball, except imagine if Vlad Jr. was more athletic, played shortstop, and was a switch hitter. That's what Wander Franco is. <laughs> well, that boats very well for Rays fans to hear. Now, let's see. It, let, let, let's play a game. And the Rays, you know, take their time with, with Wander. Maybe they, they leave him for September call-ups, or they don't even show him up in 2021 and maybe in 2022. They take their time with him. He gets to work out the kinks. You get to see a little bit more power from him. When he gets to be a rookie, I mean, the way that you're talking about him, he if he plays a, a whole season as a, as a rookie, what are we expecting here? A, a three-war player? I mean, is, is, is that conceivable for, for a rookie who's, what, maybe 20, 21 at most? Well, that's the insane thing, right? Because going back to your question of 
can he hold his own at the major league level if he's hypothetically rushed? He has been playing above his age his entire professional career. I mean, the guy is not even 20 years old yet. And in the Florida State League, which is, as I mentioned on the podcast all of the time, is just a nightmare for hitters. You talk to any offensive player, they're like, it's a graveyard out there. The ball just doesn't carry. The pitchers are great. It's it's miserable. <laughs> like he goes out there as an 18-year-old where most kids aren't even graduating high school at that point and posts, as you know, a 340 batting average, but also a 12% walk rate and a sub 7% K rate. That's just not human. You don't see that. And the isolated power numbers still solid. It took a hit because of the Florida State League, like I said. So that's why I would love to see some double A numbers for him because the ball just does not carry in the Florida State League. And with a guy like Franco, you know, he's not hitting you 470 foot bombs. So he's one of those players who their power production will be hit more by environmental factors like the Florida State League. So that's why I think you get to double A and then you get to triple A with those major league baseballs that carry way more. I will love to see as those gap to gap guys tend to run into some more power. And that's the only little thing missing because when I look at Wander Franco's bat speed, when I look at his hand speed and I look at his approach, he's a player that will have no problem pushing 20, 25, maybe even 30 home runs as he fills out and, you know, gets to his mid twenties. That's where we're just waiting to see that last little piece. And that's why I think he needs to have some more time to just get used to the minor leagues. And at the end of the day, he he's hardly even played a full season. If you really count all the games up, right. he's only played about 160 something games, right? So he, he's got a lot more time to, to get it acclimated. But as we've seen this past year, teams have been more than comfortable rushing their guys. Uh, we saw so many players make the jump from high A to the majors. And if there's a candidate that would be the perfect guy to be able to do that, it's Wander Franco. You've mentioned hand speed. You've mentioned uh, athleticism. Uh, you know, maybe the approach to the game as really strong assets that that Wander has. Now, is there a something, a skill, a tool that Wander has that is rarely talked about? Does he have an underrated skill that people just don't focus on? Well, you know, that's a, that's a really good question because I think people love to just talk about how this guy can do everything, right? But I think what's the most special thing about Wander Franco is the fact that he has an 80-grade hit tool, which – we only saw one other time, as I mentioned, Vlad Jr. That is incredibly special in itself. But if we're going to just talk about his offense all the time, and look, he is a premium offensive player, I think he does not get enough love for his defense. Because I think when you ask the question, are we looking at a three-war player? Uh, we might be because he is going to give you some value in the field as well, right? When we see some of these premium, premium offensive prospects, they tend to give up a little bit in terms of the war statistic when we talk about defense, but he has a cannon for an arm from the, from what I've seen is more than comfortable going either way is pretty rangy. He's quick. And I, I like his hands I, in the field too. I love his hands at the plate, but I think he's got soft hands at shortstop too. He's maybe not a gold glover, but he's one in the better half of defensive shortstops. I think when he gets going in the major leagues, it could be even better than that. Now you're looking at a player that is definitely pushing a three win type of potential right away. And that's where I think he doesn't get enough attention because we're so focused on what he does offensively and his 
you know, 80 grade potential hit tool that we see a lot of different scouting publications put on him, which I think is accurate. That's what we're focused on. But he also has 60 grade speed, a 60 grade arm. And in my opinion is right on the fringe of a 60 grade fielder, probably right around 55. Uh, and that I mean, does that make you want to buy a Wander Franco jersey or what, Kevin? I mean, do you think that's that does Rays it for you? fans are are drooling right now? They are <laughs> drooling. Ulysses, have you gotten your Wander questions out of the way? Are you are you satisfied I, I, with? I think I think we're we're Wander satisfied. Yes, at least from my end. Do, Maybe you have a couple. I don't know. I do have one Wander question, and it was kind of answered by Aram already. But if long term you see this guy sticking at short, or will he grow out of the position and maybe move to third center field, or will he be used in a multitude of positions? Or do you think he is going to be for the foreseeable future a shortstop? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think the the beautiful thing about Wander Franco is one, I think he sticks at shortstop to answer that right off the cuff, but let's say he doesn't. And, and that's possible just because again, he's 19 years old. So he could have plenty of changes physically uh, for, for better or for worse. And if he fills out, you know, maybe he doesn't move as well. Who knows? He could grow a couple inches. <laughs> he's got so much time left, but I would say with his offensive production, he could play third, second base, you know, and still be productive enough to man the hot corner. But I think with, with his profile, with his athleticism and with the fact that he's already got a good deal of muscle, I mean, five, 10, five, 11, 190 pounds, he doesn't have that much more room to fill out. Uh, like I said, something could change, but I, I don't see him moving from shortstop, honestly, with, with how quick he is, with how good his arm is. I think that he can handle it there and I don't expect him to move anytime soon. And, and that's what makes him just that much more valuable is the fact that he's not that much of a liability to move from shortstop. And I just, I'm so excited about this guy. You mentioned buying uh, his Jersey, something I like to do from time to time and kind of putting my money where my mouth is on some of these prospects is I'll buy their, their baseball card and Wander Franco, you already got to pay a pretty penny, but to me, it's like buying Amazon stock where you just know it's going to keep going up. And uh, <laughs> I, I ponied up and bought a couple cards cause I'm just expecting him to just get better and better. Um, Aram, moving along, and, and aside from Wander, uh, outside of him, everybody talks about him, of course, but who is another raised prospect that, that really intrigues you or intrigues you the most aside from, from Wander? Oh, that's a, it's a good question as well. And I think there are so many guys in this system that are fascinating to me because you know, the, the Rays just do a good job of loading up talent. I think the, the duo in the middle infield is, is very high floor of Xavier Edwards and Vidal Brujan, both of them middle infielders that are fast, that are good defenders, and that can hit the ball at a really high level. And two guys with 60-grade hit tools that I think will have no problem climbing through the minor leagues quickly. Edwards, I actually got a chance to see in high school he was really young when I played against him. I think he was a freshman and I was huh. a senior and I played against him in high school and I knew that that kid was going to be somebody right away. I, you could just tell. And he was a, he was a twig at that point. And I know he's skinny now and he was still hitting the crap out of the ball, has a rocket for an arm and will have no problem playing second base. I'm, I'm a little uh, concerned about his range at shortstop. We'll see, but regardless, a very productive player, a 322, 375, 396 slash line, 27 extra base hits. I mean, the guy just hits the ball. I'd like to see him, you know, tap into a little bit more power, but ultimately that's something that is never going to be a, a focal point of his game. 
and a minuscule 9% strikeout rate and walked more at the lower levels. Would like to see him walk more at the higher levels, but obviously pitchers are going to be hesitant to put him on base with how fast he is. Then Bruhan, I'm a little bit higher on Bruhan. And I think some people might, you know, be juggling those two and wondering, you know, who, who is the maybe leg up between the two. I like Bruhan because I think he has a better feel for just hitting. Uh, I think at the major league level, you got to be able to hit for a little bit more power, as I mentioned earlier, especially if you're going to play shortstop. And I think he just has a better ability to swipe bags. Xavier Edwards still looking for his consistency when it comes to stealing bases. Bruhan has been very, very effective. Also his walk rate has been much steadier and much higher. And with his speed, you know, that's something that's very consistent. The only question I have with Bruhan, I guess, is his switch hitting is borderline not worth it. And by that, I mean, he is really good from the left side of the plate, 301, 365, 429 slash line from the right side of the plate, which albeit he will not hit there as frequently 202, 286, 266 slash line. And that's the only thing holding him back because ultimately if he was just hitting 250 from the right side, he would be far and above of Xavier Edwards. And that's, I think what keeps them close. If Bruhan can just get to the point where he's average or slightly below average from the right side, then we're looking at a player that could be a very productive middle infielder, whether it's at shortstop or second base, assuming Wander Franco is playing shortstop, it will probably be at second base, but that is a very exciting duo up the middle. Uh, Ulysses, Aram's comments about Xavier Edwards, I think ties into another question you had. So I'm going to let you go ahead Thank and uh, play a little. You read my mind here, and, and and go with it because uh, you know there's there's Rays fans out there, Ulysses included, that are still kind of scared about the Tommy trade. So maybe your uh, positive comments there, Aram, have have appeased him even more a little bit. But Ulysses, I'll let you take it away with with what you like to present to to Aram here. I'll expand on what Kevin is trying to say. I I, I never really was a fan of the Hunter Renfro. We just traded fan for a Renfro and a slap blank prospect. I was never really a fan of that deal as, as Blake was. But, you know, looking back on the 2020 season, you kind of wonder if fam was in the two hole in front of <laughs> Randy El Jefe, a Rosarena. I mean, the damage that could have been done um, that could have been the World Series. The, the race could have been the World Series champions if they have an on-base machine like Tommy Pham right in front of Randy Rosarena. So can you appease me once again? Is Xavier Edwards a, a Francisco Lindor-type player? I mean, what is he? Is he going to make us feel better about that trade giving up? Uh, Jake Cronenworth, too, by the way, in that Tommy Pham yeah. deal. Like, um is this salvageable for, for the race? Or can we say, you know what? The Rays actually uh, did not get what they should have gotten for, for Tommy Pham and Cronenworth. Yeah, you know, that's a good question. He's definitely not a Francisco Lindor level of player, unfortunately. I wish I, wish I could tell you he was. But I, what I will say is, you know, he, he is definitely uh, an incredibly productive player. And, and somebody, again that at 19 years old to, to be doing what he did at high A is very, very encouraging. And I figure he's only going to get better and better. He's a top 100 prospect across the board, no matter who you ask, whether it's Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus, MLB Pipeline, or me, um, I, I'm going to put him in the top 100 too. And ultimately, like I said, it's going to have to be that the power is the question. He has one home run 
in 168 professional baseball games. So that's going to be where the question really lies. You know, the, the slap hitter type of profile just doesn't really play in today's game. So can he either be right. such a good hitter that it doesn't matter, um, which I think he's bordering that at this point as a, as a guy that hits from, you know, both sides of the plate and then also has been right around the 320 range in his minor league career. You know, he's bordering the point where it's just he's that good with his hit tool. If he can swipe bags more efficiently, uh, even though that's a little bit of an antiquated part of the game, uh, if he can do that, you know, then you're looking at a very productive player. I think with Tommy Pham, he he was very hot and cold, right? And and I think the Rays were, like we were talking about earlier, looking at a chance to cash in on somebody that's very inconsistent and go get a top 100 prospect that they can ultimately develop. And I think they're still banking on being able to continue to develop him. You know, we'll see how Edwards continues to improve at the end of the day. He's still 5'10, 175. So he needs to either, again, just get that hit tool to the point where he is just hitting 330 every year, or he's got to fill out a little bit more, find a way to just hit some more doubles and split the gaps. But what I will say, and this is something I always say, and of course the Rays are going to make mistakes here and there, but if the Rays are interested in one of your players, you should probably hold on to them. And if the Rays want one of your, or if the Rays, you know, are trying to offer you a player, uh, you probably should stand, stay clear because there's <laughs> always, it just seems like the Rays know something that everybody else doesn't. And uh, it, it almost never fails. All right. That wraps up part one of our chat with Aram Layton from Locked On MLB Prospects. Also, he's the host of Locked On Marlins. So check those podcasts out part two of our conversation will drop with him tomorrow so stay tuned for that that wraps up this edition of locked on rays now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of locked on mlb prospects there we go hope you all have a wonderful day stay safe and we'll talk to you tomorrow